good. What is it? Clothed and in my right mind, right? Is that what it is, Pastor? Rocks and chains. <laughs> so Matthew, uh, Matthew 13 is where we're headed tonight. Um, we're going to spend some time. I have so much for you in here. It's going to be hard to squeeze it all in, but if you get to Matthew 13, we're going to be working our way through this entire chapter of Matthew. There's so much in here. I'm going to read you verses 1 through 9 tonight, the parable of the sower. But uh, we're going to study through this chapter, and there's, you know, first we're hitting the parable of the sower here, then Jesus is going to show us why he teaches in parables and who the parables are for. Then there's seven parables on the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. We're going to preach through those. And finally, we're going to finish up with Jesus's ministry and the authenticity of it and the fact that some people questioned it and weren't able to receive miracles because of their lack of faith. So there's a lot in Matthew 13. Let's thank God. And I'm going to read verses one through nine. Father, we thank you tonight for this study. We thank you for all the treasures you've hidden in here. Uh, the parable of the sower, the parables of the kingdom. Father, help us on the other side of this study to be more kingdom-minded, to be more acquainted with the realities of the kingdom, and to be more effective in our kingdom ministry. I pray all this in Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. Well, Matthew 13, starting in verse 1. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the seaside. See, even Jesus hangs out at the beach. And a great multitude were gathered together unto him. So he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore, and he spoke many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and he sowed some seeds fell on the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. And some fell on stony places where there had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth, but when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. He who has ears, let him hear. So just in that short text here that we're going to cover this morning, uh, this morning, I don't even know what time it is. It's been a long day. But uh, we're going to cover that as best we can tonight. Jesus starts his public ministry here in Matthew. It's in full swing. He's going down by the seaside. And when it comes to reaching people with the gospel and fulfilling the Great Commission, sometimes we just need to go where the people are. Amen? Well, why didn't Jesus go into the woods? Why didn't Jesus go into the mountains? Why didn't Jesus go hide in the bushes? He did that at times. He withdrew himself. He got away from people, and he's like, I need father time, just me and the father, right? But here he goes down to a place where the people are. He goes down to the seaside. Now, anywhere there's water, there's going to be people. The crowds were there. The multitudes were there, and Jesus went down to meet with them. When it comes to reaching people, we've got to understand we have to fulfill the Great Commission. We have to preach the gospel to every creature and make disciples, Amen. And so sometimes that requires us to go where the people are. Down by the sea was a good place to find people. And he, he did reach out to them, and he's about to minister to them in mass. Now, where the people are, 
there the multitudes are. And I want, I want to say something. Never be impressed with crowds. Okay, let me try this again. Because I felt it bounce off a little bit. Never be impressed with crowds. People are impressed with crowds. Oh, a big name draws a big crowd. you got a big church with a lot of people. You, you're, you're a big this and a big that and a big crowd. Never be impressed with big crowds. Jesus wasn't impressed with big crowds. Jesus didn't seek big crowds. And we're wise to understand that the big crowds many times contain the multitudes. They're there for the entertainment, for the entertainment value. They just want to hear something new, but they really have no intention of changing or doing anything productive. Sometimes you could be in a room full of hundreds of people, and there's so much dead wood there, you can't get anything done spiritually. Yet you can be in a small place with 10 people who are in one accord and there's unity and the, the spirit explodes. Come on. Some of the most powerful worship services I, w- I was ever a part of were not hundreds, were not thousands. We worshiped in stadiums with the, with the men and stuff, and it was great and stuff. But I've been in little coffee shops with 10 people who loved Jesus with all their heart and had the Holy Ghost fall in such a powerful way that it was tangible. Never be impressed with crowds. Now, on the other side of that, we shouldn't categorically dismiss the crowds. Did you hear the other side of the coin? Some people will look at the crowds and go, oh, they're all shallow, or they're not committed, or they'll make a judgment. Sometimes the crowd is there, and they're all in unity, and they have the right heart. Look when Peter preached his first message, and 3,000 people got saved. That was a pretty uh, on-point crowd, wasn't it? So don't look for the crowds. Don't get impressed by the crowds, but don't categorically dismiss the crowds because sometimes God wants us to minister to the masses, and that's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus has drawn such a great crowd that verse 2 says, a great multitude were gathered together unto him so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. So here's Jesus. The crowd is huge. You know, he, he obviously didn't have a place where he could speak to project his voice or to make eye contact. So what? He jumps in a boat. They float him out into the bay, and he's got a perfect amphitheater. And you say, well, what's the point of that, Pastor? Well, the point of that is this. You know, sometimes when we're ministering to the masses, we're ministering to the crowds, we have to, uh, you know, do whatever it takes to reach them. This is a lesson on using the resources that are available to us to do effective ministry. Jesus could have tried to jump up and down. He could shout. You know, it's a big no. He gets on a boat. Why? Because there was a boat there. And he floats out so they can hear him. So he used what was available to him to reach the people. And that's what we have to learn to do. Because we can make a lot of excuses of why we can't do this and why we can't do that. And nobody knows us. And we don't have any, you know, we don't have any audience. And we don't have any money. And we don't have any this. And you know what? Sometimes we need to look around and realize we've got a lot more available to us than we realize. (laughs) You didn't expect to come here tonight and be challenged like this, did you? So Jesus uses what's available to him. He gets on a boat. He floats out there. And now he he uses the resource to effectively reach as many people as possible. In verse 3, Jesus speaks to the large crowd seated in front of him. And he uses a unique literary device. It says, and he spoke many things unto them in parables, 
saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. Now, before we start to unpack the parable of the sower, let's just talk about the literary form of parables. A parable is a simple, relatable story used to convey a deeper spiritual moral lesson. It's a... It's a it's a story that people can relate to. It's a simple story. But yet on the other side of its simplicity, it, 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 it allows us to see with a level of understanding that wasn't there before a deeper spiritual moral principle. You know, the most powerful things in life are simple. Simple thoughts, simple one-liners, simple songs. As a musician, I've been writing songs since I was 14 years old, and sometimes to write the simple song is the hardest song to write. Not 59 chords and eight chord changes and tempo changes and six million words. No, these songs with just a, few, a handful of words. Is anybody feeling me tonight? You know, just those simple songs that, that just grab your heart. So simplicity is a powerful thing. And when Jesus speaks in parables. He uses simple, relatable stories. But on the other side of that story, he, 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 just, he reveals this deep spiritual lesson here. Now, the, the power of a parable is that the listener can easily and instantly relate to the subject matter. Uh, you, you have to know the, the type of people you're speaking to. You know, if you're speaking to a group of farmers, you don't share a new theory in quantum physics. If you're speaking to people who understand quantum physics, you probably don't talk about the six new flavors of bubble gum that Bazooka came out with. Are you getting me? You have to know your audience. And Jesus knew his audience, and he's speaking to this group here. You know, he's speaking to this agricultural, agrarian society of simple people, you know, and, and he's about to give them a, an easily relatable story so that they can understand it, but he's going to unpack a powerful spiritual lesson there that's going to grab them by the heart. Now, Jesus opens up with what we know as the parable of the sower, and it's a perfect fit for this crowd. He says, behold, a sower went forth to sow, and bam, they're like, we're with you. We got it. We've all done that before. In fact, I have seeds all over my robe right now. They get it. He connects with them, unlike I'm connecting with you right now. But we've got to be relatable with the gospel. We've got to be relatable with our faith. We've got to connect with people on a level that they can understand. A sower went forth to sow, and these people who are farmers, they plant stuff, they live out of what they scratch out of the dirt, they immediately connected, they got it, they're on board with him. Now, let's take a look at the, what the sower is doing here. He says that a sower went out to sow, and so everybody's attention is, is held. And it says here, that some seeds fell by the wayside and fowls came and devoured them up. They get that. They've seen seed go onto the, you know, the wayside where it didn't take root and they, they'd seen the birds come and pick them up. Some fell on stony places where they had not much earth. So there again, shallow uh, root system, a stony place. You get it. There's, there's earth on top of the rocks or there, you've seen this before. You know, seeds are amazing. If you put them in some soil and you hit them with a little water and sunlight, they'll germinate and they'll sprout. There's times I've had dirt in the back of my pickup truck and some seeds fall in there and stuff sprouts. 
Seeds are amazing. So there again, they, they, they understood this. The stony places, not much earth, and it sprung up. But because they had no deepness of earth, when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered. So, and then he talks about the thorny place. Then he talks about the good ground, and that's kind of the, the climax of the story, the good ground where the seed fell in the fertile soil that brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. That's the multiplication we're looking for, amen? That there would be a compounding of the seed and that it would bring forth a great harvest. He who has an ear, let him hear. So he's talking about this parable. He's talking about uh, conditions of sowing seed. The people are with him. They get it. Uh, they understand all of this. But before we talk about the wayside and the stony places and the thorns and the good ground, I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about the seed say seed we've already said that seed is powerful and it when it germinates it can bring forth you know multiplied harvest but seeds are something that we understand need to understand as believers the seed that all of us should be sowing everywhere we go every day we live is the seed of the kingdom of god we should be sowing kingdom seed you say, well, what's kingdom seed? We're, kingdom seed, very simply, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The seed of the kingdom, the seed that the sower was sowing was kingdom seed. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you, the next question is, well, what is the gospel? And here, let me tell you what the gospel is not. The gospel is not our opinion on best how to express spirituality to our culture. A lot of people have opinions on how to reach the lost, how to build the church, how to, you know, how to evangelize. And if they're not biblical, if they're opinion generated or if they're just, you know, people write books and how to do this and how to do that. God knows how to grow the church. And God knows it's a certain kind of seed that needs to be planted that allows people in the culture to be reached. So the kingdom is not about our opinion. It's not about our methodology. Number two, the kingdom is not our denominational slant that proves that we worship God the best way. Oh, this is the Baptist way to get saved. This is the Pentecostal way to get saved. This is the Methodist way, the Catholic way. And we get these denominational slants that all they do is cause fractures. There's no Pentecostal way. There's no Baptist way. There's no Methodist way. There's only the biblical way. And it's with kingdom seed. And it's with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel is not our opinion. It's not our domination. Number three, it's not a theological caveat or some secret knowledge. You know what a lot of churches, a lot of uh, preachers, a lot of ministries do? They try to have like a little hook that's a little different than everybody else. And it's their caveat, Pastor Mike. And it's like, well, you know, we, you know, we do it differently than everybody else. We center on this and nobody knows it but us. You know what that's called? Gnosticism. You know what that did? Create heresies in the early church. So when you have preachers and ministries and denominations that are saying, we're the only ones that do it right. That's a good indication that they're not doing it right at all because it's kingdom seed and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ and no one's cornered the market on it. Come on, Wednesday night, look alive. I, I got a few more gears. I can turn it up a little bit. All right, you asked for it. So that's what the gospel is not. The gospel message is this. Jesus, God's one and only son, was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He was 
nailed to the cross, and he died, and he rose again on the third day. Now he offers to anyone who will believe the free gift of eternal life, salvation by faith through grace, period. That's the gospel. Look, and all of us can understand that. Well, I don't know, I don't know what to tell people. Tell them Jesus came. Tell them he was born of a virgin. Tell them he died on the cross in their place to break the power of sin. Tell them he offers them the free gift of eternal life if they would just believe that he's God's son and that he rose from the grave. It's so simple. That's the gospel, and that's the seed we should be sowing, and that's what the sower in this parable is out there doing. He's out there just throwing this seed out. Now, I want you to look at how the sower sowed the seed. He threw it everywhere. It got on the wayside. It got on the stony places. It got all over the place. Now, I don't know what you know about farming or what you know about planting, but most of us are familiar with seeds. Most of us have had gardens or planted stuff or killed some flowers in our day, right? Let me tell you something about seed, especially right now. It's expensive. And you know what else is expensive? Fertilizer is expensive. And you know what else is expensive? All the things you have to put into the ground, the potash, the, the calcium, you know, all, all of these things. You, you, you got to get the pH level up and you got to put lime in there and all that stuff is expensive. And if you start wasting seed and wasting, you know, fertilizer and, and just throwing it everywhere, someone will look at you and go, what's the matter with you? My garden is spitting out tomatoes and our zucchinis look like baseball bats. Wonderful. But understand something. With, with the, the way this guy is sowing seed, people would look at it and go, you're, you're, you're being reckless. You're being sloppy. You're being wasteful. And, and I want you to see something here that's different maybe than natural sowing. Uh, there is no shortage of seed in the kingdom of God. We don't have a fertilizer shortage either. <laughs> I'm not going to touch that. I'm just going to put it out there. Some of you are like not even alive tonight. Come on. But there's no shortage of seed in the kingdom. God's not up there going, go, hey, 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 take it easy with that. That's your last little bag of seed there. Take it, you know, make them count. Take it one at a time. And this guy's out there. He's like this. 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 Throwing it everywhere. Why is he doing that? Because there's no shortage of seed in the kingdom. Uh, what we have a shortage of in the kingdom is not seed, but laborers. We have a labor shortage in the kingdom. You know what we have in our culture right now, in our country right now? A labor shortage. Businesses are closing up not because they don't have business, but because they don't have workers. Restaurants are closing up not because they don't have a good product and people who want to eat it. They don't have servers. They don't have people to bust the tables. They don't have pot washers. They don't have cooks. There's a labor shortage in the natural, and in the spiritual realm, there's a labor shortage. Matthew 9, 36 through 38 articulates it this way. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, Jesus here, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd and he sent to his disciples the harvest is truly plentiful there's plenty of seed there's plenty of crops there's plenty of multiplication but the laborers are few therefore pray the lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest 
We're talking about seed tonight. It's powerful. It's potent. It's the gospel. It has the power to transform lives. There's no shortage of it. There is no shortage of its supply. There is no limit to its power. Our problem is we need laborers. So before we talk about the four places that the seed hits, we've got to talk about the power of the seed and the fact that you and I need to be sowing it. All of us, I'm sure, can agree that we could do a better job of being evangelistic. I know I, know I want to be more... I want to be more evangelistic. I want to have more opportunities. I want to see my friends get saved. I want to see people around me that I love get saved, amen? You say, well, pastor, you know, your job is to preach and help. But no, my job is to be an evangelist too. My job is to reach those within my reach. This is not enough. Preaching a little message and giving an altar call and some hands go up. Praise God. That's awesome. But there's people that we rub shoulders with every day that are not here that need the gospel. And I have the seed, and you have the seed, amen. But we've got to be willing to broadcast the seed and to do it liberally, to sow the right kind of seed, to labor in the harvest. I want to share a story with you that illustrates the importance of getting the gospel out, of doing our part. May 26, 2002, Memorial Day weekend, a barge pilot passed out and hit a bridge span over I-40 and over the Arkansas River. The barge was so powerful that the, uh, it actually knocked out a 600-foot span of the bridge, 62 feet above the swift-flowing river below. Eleven people and a trailer full of horses died as their cars plunged into the gap. And 18-wheelers drove over the edge of the missing span into the churning river. Several fishermen were on the river that day in a bass competition. See, God loves bass fishermen. Who saw the bridge collapse, realizing that the cars and the trucks were still coming. One of the fishermen below the bridge reached into his boat's emergency kit, grabbed his flare gun, and fired a flare into the oncoming traffic, and it hit the windshield of an 18-wheeler who was speeding down I-40 at 70 miles an hour. The driver was so shocked as the flare exploded on his windshield that he locked up his brakes, and as he did, he skidded to a halt, and his front tires hung over the span of missing bridge. He was able to back his truck up, to turn it sideways, and to warn the oncoming traffic to stop. And because of the actions of this man who decided to shoot a flare, <laughs> hundreds of lives possibly were saved. Another fisherman on a boat saw a man under the damaged barge holding on for dear life. He threw him a life preserver, and he pulled him into the boat. One man, the river pilot's error, resulted in the death of many people, but one man's quick thinking and another man's willingness to throw a life preserver resulted in lives being saved. You and I have an emergency flare kit. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. You and I have to be willing to shoot the flare, amen, to warn those who are plunging toward the precipice of eternity without Jesus Christ, who are unaware that they're in danger. We have to do this. Or are we too afraid that someone will think we're silly or stupid for firing a flare or throwing a life preserver? Fire your flare tonight. Sow the seed that's available to you. Warn people about the impending 
judgment that lies ahead and the good news of the gospel that says Jesus can solve the issue once and for all. Amen. So we're talking about seed tonight. Amen. And I, I want to close down with this. You know, when a pastor says he's going to close down, that means you got two or three hours max to go. But um, I'm going I'm to give you a handout after service, but I'm going to go through uh, seven things that will make us more effective soul winners. How many want to be a more effective soul winner? How many want to be able to fire the flare? Amen. Praise God. So here are seven things that will make us more effective soul winners. Now, Dr. David Jeremiah, a great preacher and evangelist, he put this together. I enjoy his ministry. I, I want to share what he put together here, and I want to give it to you as a handout so that it would stimulate all of our abilities to be more effective soul winners. Amen. Now, we've been tasked by Jesus with the Great Commission to win souls. We have an unlimited supply of seed, uh, and we, we, all we have to do is fire the flare. All we have to do is have the courage to share. Now, here are seven ideas tonight that can help us be better soul winners. M Matthew 4.19, Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. The implication here is that if we follow him, we'll be fishing. And if we follow him, we'll be winning souls. The fact that we're not winning souls or affecting those around us means we better look at our pursuit and see how well we're following him. Let that sink in for a second. Jesus' last words to his disciples and the church were in Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples over all nations. So it's his last standing order. Go make disciples of all nations. Preach the gospel to every creature. You know, baptize them. Disciple them. Uh, turn them, you know, get, snatch them out of the dark. Bring them into the light. It's what the church is supposed to do. So how can you and I be more effective soul winners for Jesus? Seven ways, according to Dr. Jeremiah. Number one, ask God to give you an evangelistic burden for others. Number one, I hope you're, you don't have to write these down too hard if something jumps out to you, but I'm going to give you a handout that you're going to have these, so just kind of soak it in. But ask God to give you an evangelistic burden for others. You know, many times we don't have a burden because we don't ask for a burden. Or the Holy Spirit tries to put a burden on us, and it feels burdensome, and we don't want it. It's like the guy who said, God, use me, and God used him, and the guy said, I feel used. We've got to ask for a burden. I guarantee that's a prayer God will answer. So ask the Lord to give you an evangelistic burden for others. Ask God to help you see the world as he sees it and to lay upon your heart a handful of people who, for whom you can earnestly pray. See, we can't reach the whole entire world, but we can reach a few. And so we've got to ask God for the few, the opportunity for him to put that on our heart as a burden, to pray, to labor, Pray over those names every day. Keep a little prayer list and pray for an opportunity to reach those souls for Christ. The old hymn says this, Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me. And may I humbly do my part to win that soul to thee. Isn't that beautiful? That's a good prayer to pray. Number two, the second way to be a more effective uh, you know, soul winner is this. Ask for the burden, but then live a consistent Christian life before these people. Some people don't want to hear us preach. Some people don't want to hear our, our spiel. Some people don't want to hear the pitch. They want to watch the way we live. 
you and I are the only Bible that some people are going to read by the way we live the word. Is that sobering to you? Sobering to me. Live a consistent Christian life before the, the people that God put on your heart. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That should be the point of the way we live every day. And we must be obedient and have integrity and authentic faith. Someone say amen. We must love when others hate and forgive when others hold grudges. We must remain trusting in God when others panic so they can look at us and say, why aren't you panicking? Because Jesus is the captain of my soul and he's the author and the finisher of my faith. He's my beginning and the end. He's numbered the hairs on my head and my days and I trust him and I'm at peace. A consistent Christian life. We're not going to be perfect, only Jesus was. But we can live a life where people can see the growth in us and it's going to encourage them to entertain the possibility that God can do that for them as well. Number three, build a bridge to others. When the Lord shows you those who need Jesus, seek to build a bridge with them. What does that mean? Build a relationship with them. Relational evangelism is the most powerful evangelism. Remember how Jesus went to the home of Zacchaeus where there were many sinners gathered there? Realize Jesus put himself, you know, downrange. He put himself in harm's way. He surrounded himself with sinners to the point that the religious people constantly criticized him. Look, he eats with sinners and tax collectors. Yeah, and, and you're going to be sitting in hell right with them, Pharisees and Sadducees. But you're too cool to eat with them. Wow. Jesus built bridges to others. He went out of his way to impact others, and so should we. While we should be careful not to place ourselves in environments that would pull us down, we must be equally careful to cultivate friendships with people that we can reach for Christ. Number four, learn the gospel. You say, Pastor Rick, you just told us the gospel in a nutshell. Yes, I gave it to you in a nutshell, but there's some meat to it. Learning the gospel means learning a way to present the gospel so that people can understand it, and we do that from Scripture. I'm going to read a handful of Scriptures to you. Uh, four of them are from Romans and two from 1 John. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glor glory of God. Can we say amen? Can we memorize that? Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with the heart that one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Powerful, four scriptures from Romans, the Romans road that leads to salvation, amen. Listen to 1 John 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who begot also, loves him who has begotten him. 1 John 5.13 These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So a handful of simple scriptures 
six scriptures that if we commit to memory, now I'm not saying there's other ones or different ones, but these are a foundation that when you memorize these and you present them to people, they open up topics of conversation that will allow you to preach the gospel to them in a way that will impact them. So learn the gospel. Learn the scriptures that are used to bring people to the point of salvation and and learn them well enough that when you're in a pinch and you're face-to-face with someone that you can just allow it to flow out of your spirit. Because listen, the word of God will impact people. You say, Pastor, I can't memorize scripture. I'm just going to pontificate and tell them what I think. Too many of our words fall to the ground. But you know what? Not one of God's words fall to the ground. Amen. I mean, just in any one of those scriptures there, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What a, what a conversation starter. <laughs> so learn the gospel, number four. Let's move on to number five. Watch for openings to share the word of Christ. Peter said in 1 Peter 3.15, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So what is this? Peter's telling us is to have our testimony ready, have our, our understanding of, you know, our faith and, you know, the, the fact that when someone questions us and say, you know, they stick their finger in your face, well, why do you follow Jesus? Have an answer. Oh, well, I'm on the spot now. Work out your answer before you're on the spot. Amen? Understand your testimony. Some of us have powerful testimonies. Amen? And just sharing them with somebody. It's just so amazing how God will use what we've been through to connect with somebody else. I don't know how many times people have come to me and said, man, when you were speaking up there, it was like, you know, you were reading my life story. How does that happen? Did I stalk them? Did I put cameras in their house? Have I... You know, no, it's the Holy Spirit using what we've been through to be attractive to others in a way that they can relate, almost like a living parable. Number six, if the right opportunity doesn't come naturally, create one. Don't die waiting for an opportunity. Sometimes get a little gutsy and open up the topic and just inject some Jesus in there. If you're creative, it's amazing how you could work Jesus into the conversation. And you know, when he's on your heart and he's on your lips, he comes up. I guarantee if you do your devotions and you go out and all of a sudden you're face to face with somebody and the Holy Spirit's still working on you, maybe one of those scriptures, maybe one of those thoughts, boom, it's going to come out and it's going to connect with them. A little divine appointment, amen. You watch for openings to share, but if an opening doesn't come naturally, create one. Sometimes we wait too long looking for just the right time to invite someone to church, to tell someone we're a Christian, to share the gospel with them. Oftentimes, that moment never comes, so we have to be a little bit gutsy and create the moment. Now, use wisdom. Amen. Sometimes we can have so much zeal and not enough knowledge, and we scare people away. And then the Holy Ghost has to circle them around for a little bit while to soften them up again because you scared them. But create an opportunity and be spiritually aggressive to a degree and follow the Holy Spirit. Number seven, the last one, leave the results to God. Oh, pastor, I shared and, and, and they didn't believe me. They argued with me. Pastor, I invited them to church and they told me I don't want to come to church. You know, 
we're not responsible for the results. We're responsible to share the gospel. Look what the sower did. He threw seed everywhere, right? Why did he do that? Because he didn't know where it was going to stick. But he just wanted to put it out there. There's no part of the story of the sower here where we see him come back to the rocky ground and he sees the scorched seeds and he throws himself on his face and cries, Ah! I wasted my time. No. Just put it out there. Sometimes you got to put it out there and see where it sticks and trust God. Sometimes we sow, somebody else sows, somebody else sows, and then some, some guy walks up and reaps the harvest and thinks, well, I'm really good. I just... Meanwhile, somebody's been praying for him and sewing for him. His, his grandmother wore her knees out in her dress. She's been praying. And, and you said Jesus, and he said yes. And you're like, I'm a mighty evangelist. <laughs> We're all working together here. But we've got to leave the results to God. Sometimes we're going to feel like we don't connect or sometimes we're even going to feel foolish or sometimes we're going to get rejected. I remember one time uh, we were up at Elam. Pastor Mike and I were doing some really spiritual things. We were going out to eat at a diner late at night. That's what Jesus did, went to the diner with him. And I remember, Pastor Mike, I don't even know if you remember this, but we walked out into the diner and you saw someone and you whipped the track out and immediately you begin to witness to him. And the guy took the track and he threw it at him and said, I want this junk. It's really nasty. See, you probably don't even remember. And he said, that's all right. You know, he's from Brooklyn. He wasn't intimidated. He popped his knife behind his back. <laughs> and, and the guy was really rude and aggressive. And I remember we left there. And, uh, you know, it's just we were undeterred because why? We sowed a seed. And sometimes the people who are the nastiest and the most aggressive and the ones that are rejecting it are like this close. They're, they're hurting, that's right. And, and see, you know, sometimes that's good. We don't even, you don't even remember. So just keep sowing the seed, Pastor Mike. Amen. And we've got to leave it to God. But we're going to feel like we botch it sometimes. We're going to feel like, you know, we messed it up. And we've got to trust God to just sow the seed. It's not us. It's the seed that's powerful. When we think that we've blown it, think of a man named Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was determined to win his Sunday school class for Christ, including a teenager in his class named Dwight Moody, who tended to fall asleep in Sunday school every week. His heart was pounding when he entered the store where, Kimball, where Moody worked. Kimball put his hand on Moody's shoulder and said, I want you to come to Christ. And he tried to share the gospel with the young man, and it didn't seem to go well. When Kimball left, he felt that he'd botched it, and he'd missed the opportunity and pushed Moody away. However, Moody left the store that day a new person and eventually became, from that point forward, his life transitioned to being one of those prominent evangelists in America during his generation. Sometimes we think we've blown it when we haven't blown it at all. And sometimes we think we're successful and we're not at all. So we've got to stop measuring ourselves and judging ourselves and just trust God. God wants us to be soul winners. He's given us seed. It's powerful and effective. Sow it liberally everywhere you go. Do it in faith. Do it with joy. Preach the gospel. Fulfill the great commission. And God will bless your life with purpose and multiplication. Amen. Talking about seed tonight. Next time we're together, God willing, we're going to look at the four places that the seed fell, the wayside, the stony places, the thorns, and the good ground. And we're going to understand all of the implications of what that means. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you tonight that you love us, that your word is powerful and alive. Father, and 
on Wednesday night, maybe we came in here just needing to be encouraged and just being ministered to, to lay our burdens down in the middle of the week. And I pray that we are encouraged tonight to find out that we are the answer to someone's prayer. That we have the seed, which is the gospel, which we're to sow liberally, Lord. And I pray that we would learn to be effective soul winners, Lord. That we would study these seven principles. We would study these scriptures. We would make a genuine effort to ask you for a burden for a handful of people and to faithfully pray for them until they are part of the family of God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, the ushers are going to pass out uh, those seven principles to you tonight, and I encourage you to tuck them into your Bible and spend some time in, in your devotional time learning and